This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Again, happy Resurrection Sunday. What a good Sunday this is. Probably the my favourite Sunday to preach. It's... Um, This is the best sermons to preach about the resurrection because we celebrate our victory, we celebrate our hope and um, it's kind of ironic and also humorous that Resurrection Sunday falls on April Fool's Day. I don't know if you realize that, it's April Fool's Day today. Some of our close friends um, posted on Facebook this morning that they're moving to Glebe from Penrith and um, I was like, (gasps) it's April Fool's Day Um, and I'm surprised actually there haven't been more Easter April Fool's Day memes. I was kind of expecting a bit of that this morning but I haven't seen any. If there have been, feel free to send them to me because I think it's kind of somewhat humorous. So, But I assure you the resurrection is no hoax. This is not an April Fool's joke or trick. The resurrection is real, it's relevant and it transforms people's lives as we've already seen. So we're going to look at the scriptures this morning. If you've got a Bible, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15, the end of that chapter there. The verses will be on the screen behind me if you want to follow along. And I'm going to pray and read and uh, expect that God would speak to us this morning and transform our lives. So let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that this morning Jesus is alive. We thank you that the tomb is empty, that the throne is occupied, that we have hope, that we have victory, that we have purpose in life because Jesus is alive. And so I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear what you are saying to us. We pray that you would encourage us and meet every single person where they're at. And we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we, all, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What a wonderful passage to look at this morning. But I want us to backtrack a little bit to that moment between the first Good Friday and the first Easter Sunday. Alnado left us on Friday with that image of our crucified Savior. And really in that time frame, in those three days, what we experience in the first century is a funeral. It's a funeral. The disciples are weeping. The women are preparing to come to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body and all of those emotions of grief are there. And funerals are often the places where our beliefs 
are revealed for what they really are, our beliefs about life, our beliefs about death, our belief about what will happen after death, often surface in those moments. I remember when I was about 19 or 20, a girl from my church named Kirsty was diagnosed with leukemia. And she lost her battle and slowly began to fade. And in the last weeks of her life, she would come to our small group, our Bible study group, with tubes in her nose and a a tank on a little trolley that she would wheel around just so that she could be there. And I remember going to her funeral and feeling how wrong that felt. She was 21. Her whole life was ahead of her. She had a great boyfriend. She was smart, beautiful, intelligent. Everything laid ahead of her and she died. What do we do with that? How do we respond to death? Where do our loved ones go when they die? Those are the types of questions that are kicking around in the hearts and minds of the disciples between that first Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And I want to tell you that our secular worldview doesn't offer us much of a satisfactory answer to that question because our worldview says that you're simply a bunch of chemicals and when you die, those chemicals dissolve and go into the ground and the cycle of life continues. Death is natural. But if you listen to the things we say, it kind of betrays that we don't really believe that that to to be the case. You know, things like they've gone to be in a better place. They're looking down on us now. We're simply not living consistently with what we say we believe as a culture. Death is an an intrusion It feels wrong. I mean, it was interesting recently seeing some of my atheist friends respond to the death of that brilliant mind, Stephen Hawking, saying things like, the universe was lucky to have you. Hang on a second. The universe, personified, experiencing luck? That sounds like a version of pantheism, if you ask me, or very very close to it. See, even the atheist wants to mourn, and so they should. We should mourn. For someone like Stephen Hawking, a brilliant mind that has blessed our world incredibly, mourning is appropriate. But there is something about death and funerals that, that we just rebel against. Our souls rage against that. It's not right. It's not natural. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, what if there is a way to make death Sting less. What if there is a way to make death sting less? And I believe the resurrection of Jesus gives us that answer. The good news that Jesus did not remain dead in the grave but rose again three days later radically changes how we view life, death, and what happens after death. Because the resurrection gives us three things. The resurrection gives us hope that there is a future. The resurrection gives us victory over our greatest enemy death. And the resurrection gives us purpose, meaning and significance in our life. And so I want to look at those three things now. Hope, victory and purpose. So firstly, the resurrection gives us hope. Have a look at verse 52. 
For the trumpet will sound, that is the end will come, the final buzzer will sound, the end of the world will come, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope of a perfect future. That we will be changed, that we will be transformed, that we will be raised again from the dead. That Jesus will return. That those who have placed their faith and trust in him will experience this transformation. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. It's an agricultural metaphor that they use to describe what happens when a tree um, blossoms its first fruit. And the farmer says, yes, this is what the rest of the crop will look like. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. That as he has been raised again, so too will those who have placed their faith and trust in him. So if you're a Christian, looking at the resurrected Jesus is like staring at your future. You will experience this transformation. And the transformation there is essential. Because verse 50 says to us, that the perishable cannot inherit, the imperishable flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. A transformation must occur. The flawed cannot be part of what is perfect. And isn't that good news? That God isn't going to drag the brokenness of this world into the next? That God has made a promise that he is making all things new? That brings hope for us. That death isn't the end, it's actually just the beginning. That we have the hope of everlasting life, of everlasting perfection. Now I've got to tell you, if you're a perfectionist, that's a dream come true. That's incredible. A perfect world. And in the end, like, isn't that what we're all longing for anyway? A perfect world. A world where there's no injustice, a world where there's no suffering, a world where babies don't die, a world where there are no wars, when there is peace. Isn't that what we all deeply long for anyway? The perfect world? I mean, that's why the movie Avatar was so appealing to us. Because there we saw creation and people, or semi-quasi people, living in harmony together. This perfect world that was then disrupted and destroyed by humans. Pandora, the utopia that we long for. And I want to suggest the reason that we long for a perfect world is that we have an echo of Eden in the hearts of every single person. That you were actually created for it. Adam and Eve in the garden, a perfect world. The resurrection reignites that lost hope for us. That Jesus will come back that the dead will be raised, that we will experience transformation and he will make all things new. So firstly, the resurrection offers us hope, real hope. The second thing that it offers us is victory. The resurrection offers us victory. You know, I played soccer for a number of years and um, at the end of some of our games, I I played for um, Penno FC with Benny Hodge. If Benny's here, we played soccer for a number of years together. And at the end of a game, if we won we would sing a song together. I know that sounds really weird, but at the time it was really like 
blokey and um, it was part like celebration but part also taunt at the losing team because we would get to the end of the song and if we won by like six goals we would do this thing where one of the players would say was it one and we would say no was it two no was it six yes and we would gloat and chant and cheer as the victors. And these verses here are kind of like a victory song, a celebration song, but they're also taunting death. Have a look at what he says there in verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Ha, look who's laughing now, death. I won. You know, I kind of, if I was Jesus, and I mean, we've all had that moment, haven't we? If I was Jesus, if I could do anything, if, if I was Jesus, I would gloat at the resurrection. I don't know about you, but I would gloat. I would like walk into Pilate's, you know, colonnade or whatever it was there. And as he's standing up to offer a judgment, I'd be like, hey, remember me? Or even better, I would go to the Sanhedrin, you know, the Jewish ruling council that falsely accused and sentenced Jesus to death, I would walk in there and I would totally gloat. I'd walk into that room and I'd be like, look at this, thought you could keep me down. Hey, you like me now. And maybe potentially just do like a little victory dance or something like that. I would totally gloat that I won. And that's what we do. That's what we do when we win sporting events. That's what we do when we win. We celebrate, we gloat. And this is a celebration song. But of course, Jesus doesn't gloat over Pilate and people because people in the end aren't the enemy. And he's probably far more holy and godly than I am. Definitely. He gloats over death. He taunts death. Paul is taunting death here. This is a victory chant. And if you're in Christ, you're called to sing the song. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We win. Our greatest enemy has lost. We have victory. But the question is how? How do we have victory? We have victory. Death loses because its power is gone. Have a look at verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The law has an ally. Its ally is sin, and it donates power to death. And what the law does is it demonstrates and reveals that we are lawbreakers, that we are sinners, that we are transgressors, that we have fallen short of the standard. That's what the law does to us. But since Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience and then paid the penalty for sin, the penalty of death, it's lost. Death has lost its power. The coalition of sin and law has been defeated and we win. The sting of death is gone. Now, this isn't like the irritating sting of an ant bite or a bee sting. This is like the deadly, poisonous sting of a scorpion. And at the crucifixion, Jesus drinks the poison and absorbs it on himself. And then rises again to new life, to defeat and conquer death once for all. Death is done. 
Jesus has dealt the final blow, the final uppercut, the shot that wins the game. He has won. Death has lost its sting. Game over. We win. That's it. Victory is ours. We don't live wondering what the result is going to be. We live victoriously knowing what the result is going to be. We live knowing that we win, that death has lost, that those who have faith in Christ win. The resurrection offers us hope. The resurrection offers us victory. And finally, the resurrection offers us purpose. Have a look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your your labor is not in vain. Because there is an afterlife, because there is a judgment and with it accountability, your life matters. It matters. What you do is not wasted. Your work for Jesus is not wasted. Your service is not wasted. Your everyday living as a disciple who makes disciples is not wasted as you seek to live out the realities of this manifesto that Jesus has given us in his kingdom. All of that is not wasted. Why? Because you will rise again. Because Jesus will return as judge. Because there is accountability. And everything we do is worth it. The resurrection means this life has significance. This life is not the end. It has significance. It has purpose. It has meaning. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching the Eels play Manly. It was a few weeks ago on that 37-degree Sunday afternoon. And Manly absolutely smashed them. 54-0, the Eels lost. And it got to the kind of back end of the second half. And it's kind of like the eels are just going through the motions. This is pointless. It's pointless because we lose. And so every hit up, every pass was just like, it's like they'd already on their minds, they were sitting on the bus in the aircon with a Powerade. It was, it was a pointless, that is not us as God's people. We do not run aimlessly. We do not work and labor aimlessly. Everything we do has significance and purpose and meaning. The resurrection brings hope. It brings victory. It brings purpose. That funeral that I attended of my friend Kirsty. It was a sad day, but there is one thing that occurred at that funeral that I will never forget. Kirsty's older brother, Mike, got up to read the Bible at that funeral. And he read from these verses here in 1 Corinthians 15. With his sister laying in a coffin less than a meter before him, he stood up in front of his friends and his family and he read with conviction in his voice, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? How? How is that possible? Only someone who has a firm conviction that Jesus rose again from the dead can possibly utter those words at the funeral of their sister. The resurrection 
The resurrection gives us hope, it gives us victory, it gives us purpose, and it allows us in the deepest, darkest moments to live completely countercultural with this world and to, to live a distinct reality that says this is not the end. This is simply the beginning. Jesus will raise this person again, transform them. They will live forever with him in perfection. You know that initial question I asked, is it possible to make death sting less? It's a bit of a play on words. Because the reality is a funeral is, is still sad. We still weep, we still mourn, that's still appropriate. But the truth is death has lost its sting. It is stingless. It has no power. It has no victory. It has no triumph. Death has lost. Jesus wins. The resurrection brings us hope. We have a future, a promised inheritance that shall never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who are followers of Jesus. The resurrection brings us victory over our greatest enemy, death. The resurrection brings us purpose, that we have a true north star in this life. We have a reason for our existence. Now, look, even if you aren't a Christian here this morning, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you've got to admit, that's pretty appealing, isn't it? To have the perfect eternal existence after we die. Isn't that what we all want anyway? To live forever with no more tears or mourning or sickness or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Who doesn't want to live forever? That's why we have all of those stories and movies and songs that lament death and long for something more. Who doesn't want victory over our greatest enemy, death? It's why we rage against death at a funeral. Who doesn't want a life full of purpose, meaning, and significance? Honestly, being a Christian is awesome. This stuff is incredible. Why wouldn't you want it to be true? And all of this, every single promise that we receive, stands or falls on a historical, physical resurrection of Jesus. Philip Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, says this, In many respects, I would find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. But Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means that he must be on the loose out there somewhere. You see, a dead saviour is no saviour at all. And we don't worship a dead saviour, church. We worship, worship a risen king. He is ruling. He is reigning. If you're not a believer here today, then we want to journey with you to discover that truth. If you are, hallelujah, celebrate today that Jesus is alive. That death has not won. That the tomb is empty. That the throne is occupied. That Jesus reigns and rules. That there is a promise. What good news that is. On this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate a resurrected King. And along with that, the promise that we too will experience that hope.
we're going to respond this morning by celebrating. The reality is that all of the Christian life is lived between the final whistle and between Jesus returning. The game has, won, has been decided. Jesus has won. All of our life, we live as a post-game celebration. All of it. We celebrate the victory of Jesus. And on Resurrection Sunday, that is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to sing. We're going to stand and have an extended time of worship and celebration of all that God has done. And during that time, our prayer team will be up the back and they would love to pray for you this morning. If you have any need, if there's anything that you would like prayer for, head to the back. Our prayer team will be wearing an orange lanyard and a name tag. They'd love to pray for you. They'll be here down the front after the service. But we want every single person who's walked through these doors this morning to encounter and experience the hope, the celebration of the risen Jesus. And so I'm going to pray for us and then hand over to the band and we're going to celebrate and party together. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus is alive. We ask that you would give us the assurance that in Christ we died, that in Christ we rose, that in his life we live, that in his victory we triumph, that in his ascension we shall be glorified. We declare this to be true. We worship you. We celebrate this morning. It's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen.